I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what is the year? 2022. Yeah. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. You hear his voice. Chris Derrick is in the building. What's up, Chris? Not much. I feel like I ain't seen you in a while for some reason. It's been a couple weeks, not long in there, right? We just talked on the, on Zoom like on Monday. Yeah, it's just weird. I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> oh, because you know, I was I was busy last weekend. Um, no, things are good. Mm-hmm. Things are good. Um, you know, it's just it's just early in the year, just trying to prep for the year. Um, you know, tonight mm-hmm. that Cosby documentary comes on. Or oh shit! Oh boy. I'm like, it's I just saw the I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> it's a series. It's a docu-series. Oh, it's also R. Kelly. It's like two or three episodes at least. Uh-huh. Four. Um, I'm so, I'm so torn about seeing this. I want to see it. I really want to see it. Um, hmm. You know, guess uh, what? He's he's still in, is he is he out? Didn't he get out? I believe he's out. Isn't he out? Oh, yeah, there was something where... There was he was out at some point. Yeah, there was something where they... they <clears throat> he's out on the... Te- on the appeal. Oh, okay. The te- the, it's like the way they did the, 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 the trial was off. They messed up. They like, like ran too hard against him. But I'm curious to see that, you know, just that... Um, you know, I saw this... Uh, I saw a movie uh, called um, A Hero. Hmm. What's that about? It's an Iranian film. Okay. Um, he's, he's, he's a pretty famous. His name is like Ashtar. Kat, Kat, oh, is that the director? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's his latest film. It's not mm-hmm. on. Um, so this guy who he is uh, he's in jail. This is so weird. This was interesting about some of the watching these uh, four shows. Always four movies before we watch. He's in jail because he owes somebody a debt. Right. So I was like, oh, there's like a debtor's prison type of thing going on here. But and that's know, a real thing. It's a real thing. Huh. Real thing. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, he's, and, but he's out on a weekend, and he gives a woman back a bag, like a purse that she lost, mm-hmm. and money in it. Oh, right, right, right. I heard this and on um, then, Film Week. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Then it all, and then <clears throat> the people at the prison find out that he did it, and it just his life begins to spiral in a mm-hmm. way that is not what he expected by trying to do try to do a good thing. Mm. Even though he's not even though he tried to use the money to save himself, mm. the 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 guy, his creditor was like, I want all the money on me here. I'm not I'm not gonna go to jail. <laughs> it's just a really interesting movie. It's just um yeah, I people should watch it. It's it's a, it's, you, it's something about it's the type of movie that, they, that Americans don't want to make. Mm. Is it is shot well too and everything? He shot really well. Mm. It's not like it's shot amazingly, but it's just like <laughs> 
it's a, it's a seamless kind of directing that mm-hmm. you really want guys to do who are, I mean, he's got cool shots all the time. Right. You know, well, that's really smart, really smart. Um, but you, it's that it's seamless kind of like 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 classical Hollywood type of directing. We almost don't see any of the edits. Mm-hmm. You know, all the camera work is really, really well designed, really, really placed. It's a really, really good movie. You know, okay. I think he'd been up for an Oscar. I think he won an Oscar a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, for a separation <clears throat> maybe or something mm-hmm. like that. He did like a separation and like fireworks Wednesday. Yeah, and, I feel uh, like he's had a couple of nominations. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. She's the one who didn't show up. Uh, maybe, isn't, isn't that the one? Maybe. Uh-huh. maybe, maybe I think maybe, that's the guy who didn't want to come. Yeah, or maybe he couldn't, couldn't come because he's Iranian. Right. Right. And right. Therefore, they wouldn't let him come. Right. So he boycotted like the next year. It was like something. Something, something. like that. I don't remember. But uh, <clears throat> we had a couple years ago with um, Penelope Cruz and Javier hmm. Bardem. Right. Okay. The Spanish language film. You see, we got a sim file on here. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to I see. I can't remember if, the title. I can't remember either. Um, it was really, really good. It was about this, uh, uh, I don't know, it was about a woman and her husband who come back from Argentina to Spain and their daughter gets kidnapped. And, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fake kidnapping or, or it's, a, mm. it's not, it's not really a real kid. It's, it, but it's a, it's a kidnapping that, and it causes, you know why that when stuff happens. This is why he's good because he takes an idea that's like a interesting idea and he uses it to, to explode a family. Right. Like you see how the what the what the fallout is on the movie, kind of like um, you know, it was that movie years ago, um, Jake Gyllenhaal <clears throat> and uh, Prisoners, and mm-hmm. uh, it's like that. Like that movie is like a it's like all this about the investigation mm-hmm. and the family's crumbling in the background. because all about the how does he get find this guy? Is it Paul Dano? Oh no, it's not Paul Dano. It's really um, the, the other woman. Um, I forget her name now. Um, and it's like, and then he gets caught up in the thing, and that's what it is. But this guy named, uh, this, the uh, writing guy would do it, he would just focus on how the family's crumbling and what secrets the family was, was holding that they didn't, that they never let out through 15, 20, whatever it is. Yeah. It's really interesting the way that he, he, he leans that direction into a crisis. Yeah. The, again, America's like, like, like leaning into the heavy pulp fiction plot. Mm-hmm. Shit, you know? Interesting. So I don't know. That's what's up. Called a hero. It's on Amazon. <clears throat> I highly recommend it. That's what's up. Well, I've been watching the new Bel Air show because I got to interview um, Morgan Cooper tomorrow, the guy who created the show for the Writers Guild podcast. And then on Tuesday, I got to interview uh, the lady who created the um, Women of the Movement with the Emmett Till thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so been watching those. So it's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on that. But um, the the Fresh Prince is it's it's an interesting premise and how they did it, where it's like a much more dramatic thing. It's kind of like we were talking about Chris and I were talking a few weeks ago about West Side Story when it came out. Mm-hmm. I saw it the day it came out. He saw I think you saw it that weekend, right? and mm-hmm. we were talking about it. And one of the things I loved about it personally, and I, those who know me, welcome to Hollywood. Here the ghetto birds out there. <clears throat> um, those who know me know that that's my favorite movie of all time. So when I saw, what I loved about it was the layers that they put in it, that it was so unexpected, the way they, I don't know if you saw the movie, but they did a bunch of, they they put layers in a Tony and Bernardo and Anita like that were not there before and made them even more human, if that makes more sense. And so for me, I just thought it was so much better. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I felt like they did with, the new Bel Air is they pulled back the bell and went, what if 
<laughs> you know, Carlton was actually a bad guy. What if, <laughs> you know, and just started like fluctuating with all these different things. I mean, yeah. I saw this, obviously, I saw the trailer, the Carlton guy is like, oh, he's the rich white boy who's crazy. Or yeah, exactly, guy, exactly. But he's a black guy now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. It looks really interesting. Um, he's Roman in uh, Secession. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what did someone say? There's a joke the other day. They said, "Oh, they said, oh, if if if, uh, if this shows a real success, we'll start seeing like the dramatic version of Cheers." Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We'll see you all know, the they, dramatic versions of old sitcoms. Exactly. You know how Hollywood is. We'll see sitcom versions of like The Wire and shit. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out, y'all. If you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get into the show. So today we got my man in the building, in the room. Get over here, <laughs> writer, producer himself, executive producer, Alvaro Rodriguez. Y'all seen him on some shows like, you know, I'm going to kill this. Is it Cease Manos? Cease Manos. That's what I said. Cease Manos. <laughs> exactly. Machete. Um, let me see what you got. The Last Rampage. And from Dust Till Dawn. I think it's like when I met you back when you were on yeah. that. Um, Chicago Fire. American Rust as of recently. Um, Florida man after death, a bunch of cool shit. So um, we're gonna get into some stuff. What's up, man? Welcome to the show, buddy. It's great to be here. Indeed, Thank indeed. You so much. Indeed, I feel like I've known you for a long time. For I feel reason. like I've known you for a long time too. So we probably met through some writers guild event. Yeah, it's like five, probably six years ago or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So um, welcome to the show, Alvaro. Um, let's you. tell everybody like where you're from, how you got into the game. Sure. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm from South Texas. Um, I grew up in a kind of a that border community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a town called Edinburgh, uh, which is just a few miles from the border in South Texas and Mexico. And um, you know, I was just that kid who was a voracious reader, loved movies, felt a little bit like an outsider for a number of reasons, but just in terms of create creatively, mm-hmm. I just felt like there was nobody who really loved movies and books as much as I did. Right. Um, and then when I was about 10 years old, <coughs> the first time I really remember spending time with a cousin of mine, um, who you might know him, Robert Rodriguez. Um, he was like... That's my cousin. How's that your cousin? I mean, we're all... <laughs> exactly. Um, and Robert, you know, at the time, he's like two or three years older than me, and we're sitting in the back of a truck at my <coughs> grandmother's house, and he's talking about this movie, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, how the director did this and how the director did that, and mm-hmm. just like... Going into all of this stuff, he was so animated. I was like, who the fuck are you? Where have you been all of my life? Right. And um, You knew he was special. He was on some Nipsey Hussle stuff, wasn't he? Was he? On some <laughs> stuff. And it was like, you know, the movie was Escape from New York. Mm. He hadn't even seen it yet because he was only 12 or 13. <laughs> but he had read about it. He knew about it. And he was already really into hey, Kurt Russell? that stuff. Kurt Russell. Uh, that Jack was Robert the shit Kurt. back then, yeah. That was the shit back then. <laughs> and so, um, you know... Back then, I'm, pro- I'm probably in the fifth grade at that time. I'd mm. written my first, actually, a parody of the TV series Dallas. Oh, that's hilarious. I wrote, written, like, a little script for that. <laughs> and Robert's sister, Angela, um, wanted to be an actress. And mm. so it was like, all right, well, I'll write them. Angela can star in them. Robert can direct them. Oh, that's cute. And that was sort of, you know, my... my, my, uh, my big so you guys were making, like, little films and I stuff mean, like I, that? This was just, like, that was it. And then Robert... Um, you know, Robert and I ended up at the same high school in San Antonio, which is about four hours north of where I grew up. 
I went there as a it was a Catholic boys boarding school. Okay. So I went there as a resident. Robert happened to live across the street, so he was just a day student. But he was already making his first short videos at that oh, okay. time um, with his uh, with his siblings, with our classmates, and stuff like that. Was he making like some? Um, he was doing some animation too, wasn't he? He did some animation too, <laughs> and then we we went to UT. I was at UT also, and. He had a comic strip yeah, called Los Hooligans, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and he was you know doing his first uh, film classes there, and uh, you know we used to go to screenings for the film classes, uh, go to Chester Auditorium and watch Hitchcock movies or whatever. <laughs> it was like I wasn't a film student; I was I was an English major, so this mm. was a lot of my film school and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, when Robert made the movie called El Mariachi back in the early 90s that won the audience award at Sundance, it was like, oh, right. there's a door opening here. I'm mm-hmm. stick my big toe in there. <laughs> and so I actually had done music for El Mariachi. I did some guitar bits for El Mariachi. Okay. Not a, yeah, not a musician. <laughs> but Robert's like, we need some like Spanish sounding stuff. I'm like, okay. Came up with some little riffs and whatever, and that and that became stuff. And you know, um, but uh, right after that, you know, Robert was like, "We need to," you know, people are asking me what I'm going to do next, and so we need to write a script. Mm. I was like, "Okay," and so we started. You know, I had a seed of an idea uh, about a guy who <laughs> worked in a small town newspaper as an obituary writer, and what happens when you know gets kind of swept up in this romancing the stone kind of like adventure <laughs> and um, and uh, so we wrote it and got you know very close to getting it picked up at the time by a company called Propaganda Films mm-hmm. but, um, but then Robert started, got an offer to do this movie for Showtime and I ended up writing on that and so I just kind of Kind of the, the, what the Road Racers yeah. with John Hawks and mm-hmm. David Arquette and Salma Hayek we had actually written that um, obituary um, script for Salma because Robert had just met her and he's like she's going to be something we should mm-hmm. write something for her so she was the star of that movie it was actually written in mind with Jason Scott Lee and Salma Hayek really romantic <laughs> supernatural <laughs> romantic action comedy interesting that would have been fun <laughs> yeah dude that would have been dope just people know if you haven't read Rebel Without a Crew mm-hmm. yeah. and you want to make movies like like um, even though like the experience that Robert has is like so distant now because of like the oh, way yeah. you make movies and stuff like that. I think it's still. I remember I read it again maybe like five or six years ago. There's like a there's like there's like there's like a a, a joie de vivre in his writing and in his mind state that yeah. is that is transferable to anyone who wants to create content and this attitude of like I'm not uh, like, like like what is available that I can do. And all the stories we know them the the, the the he's giving blood and uh, take the drugs <laughs> like, I mean it's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you know, the people look at I that's crazy to do that now, just pick up your iPhone. That's true, but his mind state. Yeah, so, the, the mindset is what was the most important thing, you know, because that's that was one of the big lessons I feel like I learned from from Robert was the sort of practical guide to making what was in your heart. You know, and that was, you know, basically even something as practical as like the inventory method of filmmaking. It's like that was how El Mariachi got made. It's like, mm-hmm. what do we have? Yeah. Well, my friend Carlos lives across the border from Del Rio, Texas, and Ciudad Acuña, Mexico. He's got uh, resources. Those yeah, he's got resources. So he's got <clears throat> he's got in at the police department there in the <laughs> small town. They're going to let us use the station. They're going to give us guns. We have a motorcycle. <laughs> we have a dog. 
we can get a bus. That's a lot. You know, it's yeah, like, you what are the things that we have? How can we build that into our story? Yeah. That this movie, they're called like Water for Chocolate, which was a big mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. And so we had, we Robert had the, the, Carlos had the bathtub, the clawfoot bathtub from that movie. <laughs> really? So like, we've got the tub, so we've got to write a scene. So That's we cute. That's cute. It's, <laughs> we have a bar and all of this stuff. And so there's something very like, you know, practical about like this is what we're this is what we have. So this is what we can build with what we have. Mm-hmm. Kind of using the tools at hand and using what was what's what's right in front of you. Right. And so yeah, everything is begged, barred, or stolen. And and but there's a it really goes back to like you said the state of mind of, of like I'm making things. Mm-hmm. I'm not waiting around for someone to tell me I can make something. I'm figuring out what I have, what I can make. And yeah. now, like you said, with the technology, you can pick up your phone and make something that looks amazing it still has to come from the heart it has to come from this ambition and this yeah yeah it's interesting because you just said something about it just reminded me i'm always seeing people in the what you know on twitter social media it wasn't the same when it wasn't around because you weren't interacting with enough a lot of people like this initially but people who are like starting off in their career trying to break in they're always like oh you know like just don't wait for permission and blah 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 and i was like you know what, I'm hearing this story in like 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this guy's book came out in like 1995. <laughs> and he's exactly. telling you then, like, don't wait for permission. Like, do mm-hmm. this, this, and this, the mindset of, you know what the story in that is, like, you know, those short ends, mm-hmm. they shot 35. Yeah. You know, they shot 16 and blew it, it up to 35. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it was, I, I think they said that he cut the negative himself, like, like, like yeah, all this yeah. wild ass shit that you're like, <laughs> what do you do? You know, but he's like, hey, I can't afford it, but I can do it. I can right. run to do it, uh-huh. and so I'm going to do it. I think he shot either 16 or Super 16, and then transferred everything to videotape and wow. edited yeah, it on there. Videotape. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And there was something about how it was off because the videotape is like shooting and shooting at 60 frames a second, oh, okay. and he shot in 24. I mean, it, it was it was this it's yeah. interesting story that like I want to say that like Sony. Where TriStar picked up the distribution yeah, of Sony Yashi, Columbia. That they paid like. Some like, what like, like two three hundred thousand dollars just to kind of like correct, <laughs> so, so so they could put it out. Yeah, right. But 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 it, but 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 he'd already done a movie, so oh, yeah. it was done already. So and people had enough. I have the original videotape that was sent out there. Wow, yeah, so really? he, he, was, he was like, I'm getting it done. <laughs> yeah, and that is what I think is what always bothers me when people are like, I need permission or. I need to see someone who's doing it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, if you They need the validation first. Well, you yeah. get, well my, I, this is, I always have this issue. It always bothers me. It's like, look, if you are not rich and white and you're like, you know, how do I do this? It's like, is there someone who is from my background or like whatever it is who's done it that lets me know I can do it? You know, and it's like, hey, he did it. Mm-hmm. And if he did it, then anybody can do it. You know, this is a guy from South Texas. I was going to ask, was always my from South Texas. Uh, yeah. I was like, is anyone from North Texas? But no, but, but, it's just, but it just shows you that it's like, and, and no resources, mm-hmm. creativity, ingenuity. And I remember he hit the scene at Sundance. That Sundance, that was it, the 93, 92 class, the 92 class of Sundance changed the face of American cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. El Mariachi, Gas Food and Lodging, um, uh, um, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These uh, these movies came out and just like and then it just became the the, the indie thing became because of your cousin. 
Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, that's all. That's all true, and and that's. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get an amen on that? And it's true. Uh, I think I think he was ninety three. Uh, was the year that he was there. So gas food lodging there to come out in the soup, um, all of those things that really kind of like created that first indie wave, and then Robert and and Quentin Tarantino. You know, like they were on the festival circuit together with their yeah. first mm-hmm. movies, and they would be like, Robert would be interviewed. He's like, "Oh, the movie you need to see at this festival is Reservoir Dogs," and Quentin would be like, "Oh, the movie you need to see at this festival oh, is El Mariachi," and so, that's, so that's how this relationship developed. Mm-hmm. And then Robert and Quentin and Allison Anders and Alex Rockwell made four rooms for Miramax. Mm-hmm. Which also wrote uh, that was um, dope, uh, which yeah. was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know, I, I Robert. Robert's, uh, Robert's, I don't know, I wouldn't want to convey the impression that Robert kind of grew up penniless and poor. He was one of 10 children, so mm-hmm. there's that <laughs> always. And, you know, our dads are brothers. Our dads are two out of 11 children. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, uh, but, Great uh, family, huh? Yeah, so there was, there was definitely some kind of deprivation, but there was also a certain amount of, like, you know, uh, I think what it, what it really engendered was a kind of uh, autonomy and, like, where like the older kids helping to raise the younger kids and mm-hmm. there's a certain responsibility mm-hmm. and all that and sort of management and all of that which lends itself to being not just a creative person but a director right, right. you know and that was his thing also with El Mariachi he was telling me when he was editing and whatever he's like you know I just want the whole plan for that movie was we're going to make this movie we have, we have seven grand we're going to make it for seven grand we're going to sell it to the Mexican video market for 25 and then we'll make a bigger one wow that was the plan seven yeah, yeah. 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 seven thousand dollars <laughs> but, but then his thing was once it started started getting out there he's like I don't know which one of these things is going to go for me in other words people can look at the movie and say like god this thing is a piece of shit but it's mm-hmm. edited so well maybe I get a job as an editor oh, okay. or mm-hmm. you know people say this thing is terrible but the direction is pretty good so maybe I get a job <laughs> as a director so he he was really learning by doing all trying to mm-hmm. put his develop his skill set in all these sort of different right. ways you know um, and um, yeah from writing to music to DPing it you know camera operator everything mm-hmm. was like it was such a small mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he was the rebel without a crew you know? wow um, so uh, yeah I think that's really important and something that you know I still think about as like important lessons to kind of keep reminding yourself whenever you get stuck in something it's like you know to reconnect with that mindset that is ambitious that is driven that's like you know remember what it was like when you were doing this and nobody was paying you to do yeah. it yeah you know yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, you brought up West Side Story, mm-hmm. and there's a in the Directors Guild podcast with Spielberg on that. He says that the, he was like he had not felt the like the you know like the camaraderie like a family you know from this film since he did E.T. Wow, you know so. <laughs> Almost 40 years ago. Yeah. Like, I got all these people who do. I'm amazing about the cinema. All these people have not been on screen. And, 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 and they would all come to Video Village and he was like, it was just like, they would scream when they would see themselves on video. He's like, I had, had that. Yeah. yeah. And, kinda, and he said, it kind of, and, he, and, he, and hearing him talk about it, mm-hmm. it was like, this man doesn't sound like he's 74, 75. Mm-hmm. He sounds like he's like in his 50s, maybe. Mm-hmm. He's so giddy and so energized because of that. What you're saying, the lesson of you can't 
you can't forget those things yeah, because yeah. they really help you c- kind of stay young, kind of stay on the edge, you know? Yeah, I think that's one of the things when, you know, when you, you look at certain directors or listen to certain directors talk, and Spielberg is a great example of this, somebody also like Martin Scorsese or somebody like that, where you, the, their joy, the joy of cinema and, and the, the almost this childlike wonder with this thing, like we get to make this stuff, <laughs> and we, and we, we're students of the craft, and we love sharing that, sharing our, our knowledge with other people and also learning as we're going and like, you know, being surprised by something is what makes us keep coming back here, right. you know? And so there's something that's really powerful about that. It's like keeping that student mind, that child mind, you know, uh, and, and mixing that with, you know, all these decades of, of skills that they've right. you yeah. know, amassed. Let me, let me, let me ask you, so you, you went to college. Went to college. What was what was the next step for you? You know, before you like, when did you come out to LA and all that? Oh, uh, you know, so I worked with Robert for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up, you know, pretty early on in that process. This is like '97. Um, you know, Robert uh, made the film from *Dust Till Dawn* from mm-hmm. the Quentin Tarantino script. He was in Japan promoting a movie he did called The Faculty, mm-hmm. and we were chatting on AOL. I am on what? On what? We're chatting on AIM back in the day, and uh, sorry, my AOL account. And uh, and Robert's like, hey, you know, Miramax wants to do sequels to Dust Till Dawn and shoot them back to back. Do you have any ideas? And I said, yeah, I do. How about a spaghetti western prequel that tells the you know the origin of Salma's character from mm. the show, from the movie? And he's like, that sounds good, write it. And so I wrote up a treatment. He helped me revise the treatment, and then we, you know, took it to Miramax, and they were like, we're doing this. Wow. And so well, that became a movie called Dust Till Dawn Three: The Hangman's mm-hmm. Daughter, which stars Boba Fett, Tamara Morrison, <laughs> right. and Danny Trejo, mm-hmm. and uh, Marco Leonardi from Like Water for Chocolate, mm-hmm. Michael Parks from. Um, you know, all those uh, Tarantino movies like Kill Bill and is also in Dust Till Dawn, the original. Um, and, uh, and so that kind of started a very brief tenure actually working as a professional writer. Mm. I had a couple of scripts I did for Miramax Dimension and then things just kind of like dried up and mm-hmm. I hadn't really made the move. Um, I hadn't really, you know, I was still... You know, frankly, I was still in the closet in a lot of ways, literally. I just got married. So, um, you know, it was a long, long process. So, what is what his name is? What's that? What his name is? I, <laughs> what, I was being funny. I said, What their name is? What's their husband's name? What's oh, 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 no, no, no. My, uh, my wife. Hmm. I was married. Um, I, oh, you got married, married. I got married, married. Oh, like, I didn't come out until. Oh, I, see, I misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, no. So yeah, I got married. I got married in '97, uh-huh. and um, and you know, moved to Galveston, um, Texas. My wife got into a medical program there. Spent nine years there. Really, um, that long? Went to medical school. Yeah. She did her medical school and residency. She was a <coughs> ear, nose, and throat surgeon. Mm-hmm. Left nine years later with three kids. What? Oh my god! <laughs> got divorced in 2013, around the time of the Dustled on TV series, and you know, started the process of kind of coming out as a gay man. Hmm. Uh, you know, I knew since I was five or whatever, mm-hmm. but just like never felt the ability to, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Step into those heels. Step into a slim gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, it was, uh, it's been a process, but mm-hmm. that, you know, that's another story. Um, so understood. So let, let me ask a question. So it's interesting you say it dried up and then you left town, you went to Galveston. It's like, you know, it's, I think people are saying to themselves, this doesn't make any sense. You have a cousin who's like, this director's exploding and he's doing Sin City. And, oh, but he did, he's done all this stuff in Texas. I wasn't, he wasn't doing it out here. Yeah, no, I never, I never made the jump to LA. I mean, like, I got this deal. I had like a three script deal with Miramax Dimension. It's the most surreal thing. I was greener than the greenest green, <laughs> green, you know, Emerald City green. And I, and I, you know, got flown to New York to meet with Bob and Harvey Weinstein. Nice. And I'm in a room with them, and they're literally arguing over which project I'm going to do for which brother first. Wow. And I'm like, this is it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I made it. I'm, living, I'm living the dream getting Weinstein and Deinstein <laughs> and um, and you know I ended up you know doing a rewrite of some script for Bob Weinstein which you know never went anywhere mm-hmm. uh, an action script and then I ended up doing like um, this drama script for Harvey Weinstein um, with a great producer named Norman Twain mm-hmm. and you know that just took but I I was living in Galveston mm-hmm. okay. And okay. during that whole time and so I was. I just. Wait, wait. So you can make it without being here? Well, I mean, I, I don't know that I would say I was making it. I was make, make some money for a while, but then it's just like I don't know. There was something where it was. There was a disconnect. There was right. something that wasn't quite firing, and I was getting feeling more and more like Galveston is an island. I fairly felt like I was being, mm. you know, isolated more and more and more, mm-hmm. and like not. I, I think. I think. Definitely. But I also think it's interesting that, you know. If you don't want to come to LA and you want to start a work yeah. business, prior to like say five years ago, and particularly like prior to two years ago, you could not live here like if you wanted to do, you know like to, to be a screenwriter to write movies. You don't necessarily have to be here for that, right? You know, because you don't have to meet as many people. It's not so predicated. And you come into town for a week and you know, for a week, meet yeah. people. It's not mm-hmm. predicated on like, sure. these other writers knowing you, liking you, thinking you're cool to hang out with for for a year. Um, but it's different if you're writing television. It is different if you're writing television, but it was also a thing where it's just like, once those projects ended, I just felt like, again, I was so naive, I was so untutored, I had no idea of like the business of like how to put yourself out there, how to yeah. be, you know, I don't know, I just, I felt very isolated in a mm-hmm. weird, in a, mm-hmm. in a way. So. Mm-hmm. No, it makes so sense, then, no, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I, mean, I, I like, I don't want to cut you off, but it's like, I feel what you're saying. That's yeah, what you yeah, do, yeah. because I think that nobody knows what to do. No, I know. And <laughs> but that's why you find other people. You find other people. <laughs> right. I didn't have those other people. Right, right. It's just, the, the community can help you and say, hey, like right now, you know, it's like, I'm looking for like my next TV job, right? So yeah. the minute I go back in town from the holidays, I had this list of like 30 people that I wanted to, that I yeah. know for a long time that I was like, I need to let them know that, I, that I've now been on a show for two seasons, blah, blah, blah. And I said, let me know. And I hit up a and I said, and I called them. I said, I don't want to ask you for a job unless you have a job for me. But um, <laughs> I just want to just like figure out like, what are my next plans? And yeah, I didn't, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to ask them what, hey, what should I do? I, said, I was like, here's what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think about that? Right. You know? 
But that's taken me a long time to get to that point where it's like because for so many other times, I would, so many years I would ask someone, so what do you think I should do? And they're like, I don't fucking know. I mean, <laughs> and it's, it's sort of a rude question in their mind because they're like, haven't you thought about what you want to do with your career yet? Right. But, yeah. and, you know, and in your head you're like, yeah, but I'm talking with an A-list writer, producer. I mean, and, and can't you just go... <laughs> you know, I, I think, and you want that. Yes, you know, sometimes that happens. But I guess you know, for for me, it was just for a long time. I just felt like I was out of the system, and you know, working with Robert was kind of the only game in town. And so yeah. I was working. I worked on a bunch of projects with him. Some of them got made. Some of them didn't get made. Yeah. Um, you know, and then finally with Machete, you know, it was like I want my name on this movie so that I can. Right, mm-hmm. springboard, uh, you know, out of this incubator or whatever, and um, and so, you know, that that happened, and I started getting more involved in different projects that I was, you know, setting up myself or whatever smaller things, but then, um, you know, it was a real game changer. Was I had been invited to come to Sundance in 2013. Mm-hmm. I'd never been. I've never been since. But that was such a powerful experience for me of like connecting with people. I was I was still married at the time. It was January of 2013, and I was mm. like, when I got home, I was like, I need to go to L.A. I need to go to L.A. I need to spend some time and just like get boots on the ground and, mm-hmm. and connect with people I had met over the last two or three years um, because of Machete, you know, through things like the Austin Film Festival, which was huge in helping me build that network of people. Mm-hmm. And so I came out to L.A. for what was supposed to be like a seven-day trip to turn into like an 11 day trip and from the time the plane landed to the time the plane left it was like breakfast coffee lunch mm. dinner drinks you know everybody I'd go connect with like this is what I'm here this is why I'm doing this like oh, yeah, you need to meet this person yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and so that was huge and then um, you know and then um, shortly after that the Dustle Dawn series you know started to become a thing and I worked on that and you know just kind of was still one foot in Texas, one foot in L.A. for a couple of years after but that. But you came here, though, to do the Dusty Long Road. Yeah. I met you around that time. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it was like 2013, and mm-hmm. I was here for a couple of years, off and on, you know, going back and forth, right. divorced, mm-hmm. starting to come out, but still being kind of, you know, not He's at the club, places. being wild. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> you, I got the video tape. I sent you out there. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a real thing of like, I'm out at Mickey's mm. on a Friday night, and then the next week I'm back in Texas, and I'm, you know, literally back in the old. <laughs> Straight deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so then I finally, I finally, uh, the big leap was in 2017. End of 2016, I just broken up with my boyfriend at the time mm. and um, and I was like is it, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go to LA um, oh, so you were dating him there I was dating him in Austin oh okay Austin yeah. okay mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and then it was like I didn't I had a tiny bit of money mm-hmm. I came I ended up staying in a mo- motels for a couple of weeks and then found a friend who had an extra bedroom that you know I, I rented for a while and I was like, I'm going to write a pilot and I'm going to try to get get going. And mm-hmm. I wrote a, a pilot. Um, there was a thing through the guild where they were having meet and greet with showrunners mm-hmm. in April or something mm-hmm. of that month. So I said, that's my deadline. I have to have a script ready by April. So when I go and have these sit-down meetings, um, speed dating with mm-hmm. showrunners, I can at least say I've got a sample right. and be able to hand it over if I needed to. And so I did. I 
you know, literally finished my draft two hours before this <laughs> thing. We've all done that before at some point. And that script got me hired. It's got me every, pretty much every job, or, you know, the last few jobs that I had. I had, you know, Chicago Fire and then American Rust, Florida Man, all came off of that one pilot. Did you do Chicago Fire first or you did Dusted On first? Chicago Fire. Chicago Fire was the, was the show that I got because of my original. Okay, pilot. got it. Yeah. Right. My joke is I was on Chicago Fire for a hot minute and then got Chicago fired. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I swear that was going to ask because a friend of mine was on that show. Um, that was right. Pants. Yeah. I don't know if you were there. He came in. That was years. That was years yeah. later. But, but but he told me that it was a, it's a, that's a tough show. Like, it's, it turns through people. Yeah. It, yeah, it does turn to people. And it was like, it's a, you know, I know Derek Hass, one of the creators of the show. Mm-hmm. Sure we know Derek. Yeah, for a, a long time. I met him through Awesome Film Festival. And that was, so I was already, you know, we were already well acquainted by the time that opportunity came around. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I definitely credit him um, for saving my life twice. Once when he hired me and once when he let me go. Because mm-hmm. then, I, you know, I was able to go back to, the animated project, Ace Models, which I had to put aside for a while, which we had pitched without any real, um, you know, connection for two years or so. Mm-hmm. You know, I got let go of Chicago Fire in September or so. Um, and then, you know, in November, we partnered with Biz Media. And in December, we sold the show to Netflix. Wow. So, huh. you know. Yeah. Timing. Timing. But... Um, but yeah, Chicago Fire is, you know, it's it, it's it's a very, it's so different from my ordinary kind of wheelhouse and whatever. And I just, I just, I felt like I, I wasn't finding my footing there. And it was really, it was a hard place to sort of like find your footing. And I think I wasn't in the right mindset yet. But, it, you know, it literally... It, it saved my life. It mm-hmm. was like the thing that changed everything. Because mm-hmm. I was able to rent an apartment yeah. and mm-hmm. buy a yeah, network money. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> in 20 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and you think it's like, again, it's like I made it. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, shortly after, it was just so bizarre because that was the same weekend that um, Last Rampage, the movie that I, I co-produced and, mm-hmm. and written, um, you know, it was, I had a premiere at the Arclight or whatever on the Thursday night, and it was opening Friday. Um, and then, you know, Monday I got let go. Wow. So it's like, you know, you have the highs mm-hmm. of like, hey, I'm hanging out with Heather Graham. <laughs> exactly. You know, party for the movie and whatever. And then, you know. Here's one thing I was going to say to you. Sorry, Chris. Here's one thing I was going to say. Here's one thing I like about this conversation is people always think, Chris knows my mentor is somebody that he can go, here's a job, right? We all have somebody like that, right? But I purposely went around that and did my own shit. And now they're like, dude, you're fucking killing it, doing whatever you're doing. And I feel like everybody knows Robert Sherbrooke, your cousin, but you still were like, I have to keep reinventing myself. Oh, I'm not right. waiting for him to get me a job on his next movie. I'm doing my, so he's got to have that, that mutual respect for you. you well, know? I mean, I think the thing is like, you know, when you work with someone that, that is in your family, right. it comes with a whole other set of layers of, mm-hmm. of, sh- of shit. <laughs> good and bad, mm-hmm. you know? So there's always <laughs> this feeling of like, you know, I think I had to go from a place and it was a long transition, a long evolution from, you know, from being the person that's like, please give me a job to like, <laughs> bitch, you need me on this. Okay. Without a crew, I'm the crew. Uh-huh. You know, I'm the guy who's like, can help figure this out, the mm-hmm. Dust Till Dawn thing or whatever, you know, 
all this kind of stuff. Right. And, um, and again, it's not coming necessarily from ego as much as it's coming from like, you know, I've, 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 I've built something of mm-hmm. my own skill set and I learned a lot from you and, and, you know, we can, we can, there are times where we work really well together and other times not. So, mm-hmm. but part of that whole process with machete was like, again, it's like, I need to be able to expand my right. universe beyond this place. Cause I don't want to just be seen as oh, the Robert's cousin. Right. That's why you, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Double edged sword. Because <clears throat> outsiders will see someone who's connected to someone who's an A-list person and be like, oh, you had it easy. He could open the door for you. The only thing is, and this goes to kind of this like thing I have about asking him for favors. And even if it's your brother, cousin, mm-hmm. your sister, your dad, if you ask them for a favor and it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. it looks bad on them. Yep. And therefore, if you keep asking, so so, and 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 the the batting average in this town is fucking low. Yeah. So you really have to decide when do I ask a favor when the damn person when the volatility index is really is really low. So it can happen. So therefore, it behooves you to make it on your own. Right. And then you might want to say, Hey, Robert, I got this whole thing going. Blah blah blah. blah can you do this? Or mm-hmm. like Spielberg's sister, whatever it is, because at that point, the favor is such an easy ask for them. But if they say no, it doesn't hurt you because you, because you've already got momentum that you built on your own. You're not relying on their success yeah. to create your own thing. And, and that's you also have, cool. a, you have a bigger Rolodex too. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't, you know, so like there was a situation where this is, oh uh, gosh, um, trying to remember where this falls. It's definitely after, after Dust Till Dawn, the show, around the same time, I, I wrote a feature um, with a friend of mine mm-hmm. um, that was basically Machete Meets Bring It On. <laughs> it was like Vigilante Cheerleaders, it was called Hit Squad. That's funny. And, um, you know, and it was a very grindhouse kind of thing mm-hmm. and whatever. And um, and so, you know, I, I took it to Robert and I said, look, I wrote this real grindhouse thing. Robert got excited about it for about... 15 seconds and mm-hmm. he's like yeah I don't think I want to do any more of that grindhouse stuff so I was like hmm alright this is not this this is a dead end here mm. it's like who else do I know that's like in the grindhouse shit oh uh, I know I need to go I need to find I need to find Quentin mm. and, and talk to Quentin it's not the as easiest, you do not the right? easiest thing to do <laughs> but again it's like this is what I'm thinking mm-hmm. I'm going to declare you know, I'm going to declare this I need to talk to Quentin about this thing because I, you know, I'm not super close with him by any stretch, right. but, you know, I've known him for a long time, Dustle Dawn, since the 90s or whatever. I mean, I mean he knows you. It's, oh, yeah, he it's, knows it's, me. it's not like me calling you. Right. No, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he knows me. And so uh, I, this is the, when I come to L.A. for that 11-day trip, I think, mm-hmm. or, or sometime right after that. I think it was in July of 2013, <laughs> so I'm still married. <laughs> and I'm trying to find Quentin, and I find out that he's doing this thing at the Cine Family, this like weekend of movies honoring Robert Blake. The oh, really? Oh, yeah. And, and it's, it's and it's cost 50 bucks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a ticket to this, but it's sold out. So I'm like, <laughs> fuck, all right, not happening. Literally the night before, I get a call from someone who's like, oh, Quentin was looking for you. He wants to know if you want to come to this Robert Blake thing. What? And I'm like, oh, yeah. 
So I go and I spend the weekend at CineFamily watching Robert Blake movies with Robert Blake, which is incredible, insanity, mm-hmm. and, you know. I've met him before, and yeah. his son was uh, in my management company a long time ago. Well, the, there's a whole bunch of Robert Blake stories, too. But the thing was, you know, every time I'm trying to talk to Quentin, it's like the, the storm of people is just, mm-hmm. like, surrounding him. So finally, I'm like, you know, I, I, I think I had left and came back to this thing, and was like, all right, this is the shot. I'm going to go. I said, Quentin, can I talk to you for a minute? He's like, sure, let's come over here. And so I told him, I said, here's the pitch. He's like, that sounds really fucking good, man. He's like, I'm not really looking to produce anything right now, but if you want to put this out as like Grindhouse Presents, I got no problem with that. Wow. Oh, that's okay. nice. How do we do that? <laughs> so then I told Robert, and I said, Quentin said we can put this out as Grindhouse Presents. So Robert said, no, we can't. There's no Grindhouse Presents. <laughs> so I go back to Quentin, and Robert said, we can't do it. He's like, yeah, we can. We'll just make one. Anyway, none of this ever happened, (laughs) but it was still a thing of like, you know, Mm -hmm. just the opportunities and, and, you know, the ability to like pivot or whatever and just Mm -hmm. like know that, that, you know, I had to move beyond and, and sort of separate myself and even separate my own, you know, things I wanted to do because, you know, as much fun as I had working on that script, and putting in smuggling in smuggling in a lot of myself in it, it was still like I'm doing, I'm still doing Robert Rodriguez stuff. I want to yeah. do other things. Mm-hmm. So that's when when I wrote this original pilot called White Boy, it got me you know in the Chicago Fire Room. But it was like the perfect sample to get me hired on American Rust. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's a story about a um, a sort of Sarah Koenig serial podcast esque uh, person who's doing a podcast on the roots of denialism in the U.S. Hmm. And she um, she's researching this case that happened about 10 years ago where a guy walked into a kindergarten Christmas pageant and opened fire on everybody. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, he managed to get away but was killed. And now 10 years later, the assault weapon that he used, which was never found, is rumored to have been found. Hmm. And so she has to go back home to West Virginia to go explore this thing. And she has a younger brother, the white boy of the title, who is seeming to be slipping into a dark place and might become, you know, a radicalized American teenager kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, good, good premise. So fascinating. It was fun. It was cool. It was, you know, got a little bit of interest in it and whatever. But at the time, you know, when I had the interview with American Rust, guys, they were like, oh, tell us about growing up in West Virginia. <laughs> You're like I drove through there once. I don't I've know. never been to West Virginia. It's like I'm a writer. I make shit up. I you know find right. some details that I can put in it and add the nuance, and it makes oh, it feel right. Yeah. right. <laughs> and you know, uh, um, and all of that kind of stuff. So that was so much closer to the kinds of things you know, adult drama. I mean, you know, I have a lot of different interests, kind of small C Catholic things, where mm-hmm. it's like you know, I love doing seismanos. I love, you know, and went through a lot of different animated, you know, related projects. Um, Florida Man for Netflix, which I was just a writer on, is a kind of an Elmore Leonardy, you know, um, out of sight, light kind of fun. That's coming out this year, right? That's coming out this year okay. uh, with uh, uh, Edgar Ramirez. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's what's that one about? That's a, I fucking love him. Oh, he's he's dope. He's dope. Love him. He's great. It's a it's about a. Um, um, he's kind of a he's a guy who's in debt to a mobster 
and he's an ex-cop. Mm-hmm. And when the mobster's girlfriend goes missing, and he goes down to Florida to try to get her back, and stumbles onto something that is that triggers something from his his childhood for this sort of uh, this this dream of 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 a uh, I don't know if I can say, but. Don't say, don't say. <laughs> Let the bitches look at it. But it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's it's very like awesome. in the vein of out of sight, and okay, you yeah. know, get shorty and mm-hmm. that kind of Elmore Leonard style of stuff, and it's 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 fun. And Florida Man is kind of a running mm-hmm. thing through it. So nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like you know, the whole, this whole process has been one of you know figuring shit out. I mean, look, I am really. Am, impressed by what you're saying and I think a lot of people are, are, are I, th- I think they're going to put the asterisks behind what you're saying because of who of who you know I mean to know Quentin to know your cousin Robert but I feel like look everybody knows somebody in this town and you're somewhat assertive you'll meet somebody who could change your life at any time Indeed. you know the question is it's interesting you said, oh, this thing with the with the the the, the machete intruder thing. It's oh, it sounds like a Robert Rodriguez thing. How do I find my voice? How do I then like 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 I know what that is. How do I hone it and get it right so that it's like so that no one is looking at your work and saying, oh, I see this is is based off of this. It's like so will you, you know, which is great because. You know, then there's no question about what your creative skill set is. You mm-hmm. know, right. it's like, uh, oh, this is nothing at all like a Robert do, or all the equipment do, or, any, or anything in that vein. Yeah. This is like, oh, so, uh, and it's good. It's really, really fucking good. And you lied about about, about being a Western Union or not. So it's like that's the kind of thing that like that that. I was honest. I said yeah. no, 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 no. But I'm saying that people are like, what you've been there? Of course you've been there because because you make it feel real, and it's like that. Is the thing that is like this? It's it's like, you know, like look. There's been these bites of the apple that you've had that have been amazing. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like you know what? I don't want to bite of the apple. I want to be able to like sit at the table constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, and to do that, it's like it, it, is that what is in me personally? Because I love you. You said I smuggle a person myself into this. Oh yeah. It's like you know what is you. That has to be then like flourished and watered and, and given the sun and once it has the sun it's like and then it's like, then it's just it's blowing up you know and it's yeah. great to hear. No, I mean I think you know that's that's a term I actually learned from. There's a documentary that Martin Scorsese did on uh, kind of a journey through American cinema and he has mm-hmm. a whole section. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The director is smuggler. And I always love that concept mm-hmm. because I feel like that's something that you know writers do is sometimes you get an assignment or you'll be on a show mm-hmm. and, and you find ways of smuggling you know, yourself into that. So mm-hmm. even working with Robert for all these years, I mean, it's like, that's part of my DNA too. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, that movie that it was called Tell Death of His Part, that first script about the obit writer and the, and the telenovela actress um, played by Selma in our imagination. Robert ended up taking a scene out of that and using it in Spy Kids and taking another scene and used it in Once Upon a Time Mexico. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, some of that stuff is, you know, it, I'm in that. I'm in road racers. I'm in four rooms. I'm in um, Planet Terror and Machete and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Shorts and kids movie we did. Um, and oh, yeah, so yeah, 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 the shorts. Yeah, I worked yeah. on that. I, mm-hmm. I worked on that. I, Is um, it? I worked at the Completion Bond Company. That oh, that's right. Bonded that movie. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, um, 
but at the same time, it's like I feel as you know, uh, I feel still like I'm learning, and and I'm still in that process of, you know, you're you're constantly in a state of breaking in and coming out, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's 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 the the key to it always for me. It's like, you know, I've been on. Um, uh, you know, I'm looking for the next gig right now and writing a new pilot and, you know, and got some other things that I'm trying to get out there and develop. But at the same time, it's like, I need to go out, I need to go out there again. I need to, you know, I feel like the Rolodex I had is a little bit out of date because I've been kind of working. And now I need yeah, to, like, that happens. You know, yeah. It's, it, it's yeah, a reverse curve. You gotta keep that going. I mean, it's funny. It's like, I was talking with someone on Twitter the other day and we were like, Spike Jones hasn't made a movie since her. Huh? Really? He hasn't, he hasn't directed a movie since mm. her. Mm. And I and I was like, it's kind of a it's kind of a crime. Because he well, I think he got a best Oscar for that for screenplay. Yeah. Mm. And it's like you have like a lot of people who are gonna open up and, and go, I'm gonna do something with Spike, I'm just Spike Jones. But when, but but what we don't know is is that maybe he's tried a few times and he's gotten told no. You know, you, I mean, like, we don't know that. Okay. Uh, it's always possible. There's always this part that you want to do that just don't work at the time. And now, and then it's been, I don't know, now it's been eight years since, nine years since her. Wow. That was 2013, 2014. So it's been a long time since you've done anything. Didn't you do that? Where the, where the... That was before her. Oh, was before her. Yeah. Oh. Like her was his last thing. So you say to yourself, you know, again, it's, it's, it's look, the Rolodex is not for him. He's gotten old. Because he hasn't done a movie in eight, nine years. Then everyone who like exact change like a motherfucker. Change, everybody's changed. Mm-hmm. You got to hunt him down. Like so, he again perhaps has to do the work again, not to break in the same way, right, right, but right. he still got to kind of like mm-hmm. push the, the the ball up the mountain in a way that uh, he probably didn't have to. Like like two years after her, you know. Um, and I think that what you said about you still learning. I read somewhere. I think Oliver Stone was saying that when you feel like you know it all, then mm-hmm. you just stop. Because then you're not going to challenge yourself and you're going to think that and, 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 and you'll take for granted what you are doing. Right. And I think you always want to feel like you don't, that what you're doing is keeping you a little, uh, it's uneasy for you. you oh, know, yeah. as a, right. I mean, look, I tell you about the horror movie I was working on, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I, I, I am so close to getting, just getting the first draft done. People love your tattoo project, by the way. <laughs> you got letter, you got to tell them off screen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's just like, oh, it's like, the thing is, is that, like, I've never done a horror movie before. Right. Uh, and I've not watched a lot of horror movies before, but I started watching a lot when I was saying with Brian Ford last year. Mm-hmm. And it was like, there was something, the thing, the thing I actually love about doing a horror project is there's a way you can style those movies as a director that is kind of left so much the rest of the movie that wants to be so realistic. That's kind of why it's one of the reasons I want to do it. But I, but doing it, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. But I do know how to write. I do know how to create characters. Mm-hmm. I do know how to do the things you need to do to make the story work. Mm-hmm. Finding the horror jumps and blah, blah, blah. Like, I just sit down and go, oh, what if this happens? I mean, it, it comes slower, mm-hmm. but it comes because I'm not, because I'm not, um, uh, I'm not saying I'm a veteran, but you know, well, it's, it's I don't know how to do it. I mean, some some films are structured yeah, differently. So yeah, you just no, have to lock just, that in your head. But, it, but 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 it's like I know sometimes you do stuff and you're young, or it was actually it's exciting for me to be like I don't know the answer to this. 
Mm. Like and scary. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. yeah. It's like ooh, I, I don't know the answer to do this. And because I wrote this scene, it's like tripped out thing where it's like I wrote this scene where these high these people were friends in high school, and now they're back when they're like twenty five. Someone almost come back into town, and I kind of wrote this one scene that was like like then one of their old kind of like their hangout spots. You know, they're kind of reminiscing about. A mixtape that got made, and I, and, I, and I was like, I've never written anything like this in my life. I don't write stuff about kids and these kind of what, like, these sticky love affairs. And like, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't do any of that. So I wrote it, and I and I was workshopping with my writers group, and they all fucking loved it. And I was like, I said, okay, guys, this is rough. I don't do this. Because I suddenly like caveat it down, like because like because like I thought it was not there, but they were like, you did a great job. Um, and and they wouldn't lie to me because they, they said the next the next thing you got to redo though so they're not like spoiling me up but I think it's interesting to to always be in that space where you're trying to like scare yourself as the writer because yeah. that's when the work gets good it's right. like it's not that it's just like I, I don't know it's, not, it's it's the fear is not that you can't do it it's that you've not been in that territory right. you know and it's like okay this, so now I'm working with that map. It's kind of like in the, the you know, it's like the Marauders map at Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It kind of shows you where you are. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get, I, I don't know how to get over that part of the castle yet. You know, I don't know how to get there. So it's interesting to hear well, that. I mean, but that's really good because, I mean, I think what's really good about that is that it combines two things that I think are really important and have really been important to me. And I'm kind of like these sort of like lessons I keep learning or epiphanies I keep having, which is two things, the map and the answer. Mm. And the map is good. Because it gives you a sense of perspective. The answer is not the right. The answer is not the thing that you really want. The thing you really want is is that you're keeping asking questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. That to me has been the most helpful thing. You know, um, through Austin Film Festival again. This was like a few years ago. I was able to do this. Um, um, event with Vince Gilligan where we showed the first and last episodes of Breaking Bad. Wow. We talked about the oh, arc of you know, the season nice. or whatever and you know and he was the first person and it's not an original concept but he was the first person who was like spoke it in a way that I was like that makes so much sense. It's like mm-hmm. every show has a question. Mm-hmm. Every um, season has a question. Every episode has a question. Every pilot has a question. Every scene has a question. You know and so if you can like think about things in terms of like not an answer, but a question. Mm-hmm. That opens up the world of possibility. That gets you in a different mindset than just saying, it's this. Mm-hmm. right? It keeps it a little looser, and it also allows you to stay with the, the tone and the theme in the same way. Right. To me. Yeah. And the map is great because, you know, like you said, these things have a structure to them. Mm-hmm. So there's things that you can fight. You can fight structure all day long, or you can say, like, look, it's a hero's journey. Right. It's a save the cat beat sheet. It's whatever you want, you know. Mm-hmm. To, to the way you lay out your story. It's a story that's told in five acts. You know, there's a cold open and it's this and that and the other thing. And at the end of every act, there's a turn. You know, when we cut the commercial and we come back, it's like, oh, that turn that we thought happened didn't really happen. It's something right. else, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can embrace all of that as much as you need to. But it's a good sense of like knowing that, that there's a map you can look at, but then there's also like things that aren't on the map yet. And that's what the questions come in. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let, me, let me ask you a quick question. I just want to go back on Stace Manos yeah. right quick. Um, what was that like doing that experience now 
you gain, you go from, you know, being producer level writer to now, you know, you have a show that you, you know, did you co-create them? You wrote that oh, one? which one? Uh, Sace Manos. Sace Manos, I'm yeah. the co-creator and executive producer right. on that. So what was it like now being the guy at the seat? I mean, it was great. It mm-hmm. was great. It was, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, it was uh, Daniel Dominguez, who you know, from mm-hmm. the Guild. Oh, I know him. Yeah. Daniel and I, uh, you know, were the writers on the show. And so it's basically just us. He's a co-EP and I'm an EP. And, um, and, and we wrote two seasons of the show. Um, we didn't actually get to produce the second season because Netflix didn't, hasn't gone forward with mm-hmm. it. But, um, but it was fantastic. I mean, it was like, you know, it was, it's a, you know, being in a writing room is always like something that you have to navigate, right? right. Depending on where you feel like you fit into the hierarchy of the system or whatever. Mm-hmm. Having the experience of having run a room, which is basically me and one other writer, mm-hmm. it's like, my whole so you guys wrote all the episodes? We wrote all the episodes. Eight yeah. episode seasons, mm-hmm. and we each wrote half the season. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of, you know, you know, did some um, work on each other's stuff, but basically we each wrote half sure. the season. And, you know, this has been my experience from the beginning from working on uh, the Dust for Dawn series with um, Sharon and Carlos Cotto, who's, mm-hmm. who's also amazing and one of, someone I've learned so, so much He's from. Dope. He's uh, now in... Uh, Nine one one, and um, but you know the thing with me is like I don't need to come into your room either with I'm the showrunner or I'm just a mid level writer or I'm the staff writer. I don't need to come in and 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 have you like blow smoke up my ass. Right, right. I want to come to you. The politically incorrect phrase I've used, which I've told, been told not to, is an open <laughs> open kimono. <laughs> come to you, open kimono. <laughs> And as like, you do. As you do. And <laughs> why say, is that totally incorrect? And why can't you use it? Today, because it's... It's just... Me you know, too. I mean, this is like... Uh, come you know. to you open poncho. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> because you're saying it's a Japanese thing. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think that. I thought it was just that you were nude. Like today, it's well, like... Open smoking jacket? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, with my open bathrobe or whatever. Okay. Basically being like, I'm coming to you, you know, vulnerable. No, I'm coming I get to you it. honest because yeah. right? I want to bring my best ideas to the table so that you can say these ideas suck this mm-hmm. is not good this is not working let's tear this apart because I want to do the same thing when you come in with your ideas and say like this isn't working this isn't good enough mm-hmm. we need to do this better so that together we're going to build a better monster mm-hmm. you know, I don't need to come in and be told like oh my god you're so great this is all good I don't, you know, that's not helpful to us. It really isn't in the long run. So working with Daniel on Saves Monos, we were very, I mean, it's like other people come to the room like, you guys okay? Yeah, <laughs> this is the process. This right. is, we, we have this ability. It's passion. Yeah. Passion yeah. and trust. It's like, I know I'm not coming to you and telling you that this is not good because I'm trying to hurt your feelings right. or I'm trying to, you know, like subvert your authority or anything else. I'm like, I'm bringing, my, I'm, I'm trying to be honest so because right. We, we all have a contract here to make the best thing we can make so we can keep making it mm-hmm. and make more of it and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, getting to do that and kind of, you know, set that tone was great. Um, I think it's, it's the most essential part of, you know, of, um, of collaborating, you know, and this is the most collaborative art form there is. You know, mm-hmm. my other line that we say is like, if you can't play well with others, if you don't like collaborating, then just fucking write poetry. 
Because no one's going to say, hey, man, you want to write a poem with me? Right. Let me, let me ask you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So let me ask you a quick thing. Please. Now, you've worked on several different shows on different networks, right? Yeah. Is, and this is just a question about network, net Netflix, is yeah. Netflix's, like, you know, they put out their, like, here's how we like our pitches done right. with their format and stuff like that. Do they have a similar, like, here's how we want our structures and stuff like for our shows? Is it, does, do you feel like it's different or just like minor adjustments here and there? I mean, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know that I have enough uh, enough data to say one way or the other. I will say that it was like we always had really good feedback mm-hmm. and notes from from the executives we were working with mm-hmm. uh, at Netflix, John Darian and um, and this guy Dylan, um, who's like uh, you know the, the heads of the anime department and stuff like that, and so. You know, they always gave great, great feedback and had great insights into stuff and challenging us again, which I think was really good. Um, you know, and we also, we also, I think, what timing is everything. We, we we found Netflix at a time when, you know, the pendulum had swung from we want to do original ideas. You yeah. know, so and and even when. Seismanus came out, they had this big campaign for the Netflix anime. It was global stories. Oh, you know, yeah. We want to have, like, there was a show called Cannon Busters, mm-hmm. and there was uh, Seismanos, uh, Tracy, or Trace, and and, um, and so, you know, but then the pendulum swung the other way. It's like, oh, we want IP, we want E Man, <laughs> we want, you know, Terminator. Yeah. Or they, did, they make these decisions like every three months. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, but. Uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see where where, where that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because uh, yeah. I noticed you did you did the other uh, the the other film. Um, uh, sorry, I just minimized it somewhere else, so I kind of lost yeah. the the other film you did that with the um, the guy in Florida. What's the he takes a road trip to Florida or something? Oh, uh, you're talking about uh, Last Rampage? No, no. The, um, Florida Man. Florida Man. Forgive me. That's a TV show. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Netflix series. Right. And so, like, that show, so it seems like you guys now are in and Netflix to some extent. Well, that's or, not or me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm just one of the writers. I'm a producer-level writer on, that, on Florida Man. Right. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not running that show. I'm nowhere near. Yeah, I understood. Yeah. I, I, where I was going was, was, was. Since you guys did Seis Manos and and now you're on that show, yeah. are you kind of in the camp a little bit where you could so. where you could bring projects to them and stuff like that? I mean, I hope so. I mean, I think that's the other thing. It's just like it feels like there's so much of this business is you know like everything else, not mm-hmm. like who you know, it's like who knows you. Yes. And so you know, like people have a sense of like who you are um, or what you're doing. You know, a lot of you know, even though I've had certain amount of exposure, I still feel like a relative debutante and mm. a newbie mm. and an unknown quantity and um, and so you know I think it's um, um, it's important to you know kind of do whatever you can to become no a known thing or at least yeah. something that people are like interested in right. so that you have those opportunities but yeah I feel like because of those two projects and and um, and a couple other things that I pitched uh, with Netflix to Netflix or whatever mm-hmm. um, that you know there's there's at least I'm a lot less unknown than I was before, <laughs> if not completely known. Now, see, and I can tell just by even your little soft pitches when you talk about like oh what the show was about and you just mm-hmm. kind of throw it out. <clears throat> I can tell you can pitch your butt off just based on just hear me out, just based on. 
how you give information in 30 seconds, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that's, a, you know, that's, it's like, there's so many, like, people think of, of TV writers or screenwriters, it's like, that's like one skill set, and right. it's not. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to write an outline, mm -hmm. you have to be able to write a treatment, you have to be able to write a pitch deck, you have to be able to go and present and pitch something, and, you know, again, like, and learn how to take notes. There's all these different things. So, you know, when you're when you're trying to tell someone about your idea, you, you, you kind of I never think about it as like I'm working on my elevator pitch, but I feel like what's the what's the how can I convey this to you in a way that you're gonna get it right. as quickly as possible? Or I'm gonna tell you a story and you're gonna be like, Oh, that's what you know. Mm -hmm. Um But that's when I was I was just talking to him, Chris, about how um, I could tell he probably can pitch his butt off just based off of those. Every time we ask him what's that about, he gives us a little premise on what it is or a little log line. And we're like, oh, like, oh, the, I, I want to read that. Like, I want to see that. Well, you know, I mean, it's just like little. You know, everybody kind of feels like, um, I hear a lot of people say, well, that's the job of my agent. That's the job of my manager. And I was like, horrible. Hmm. I was like, hey, you know what? That might have been the job of the agent and manager 20, 25 years ago. Yep. You don't realize that agents and managers now are, they usually come from the business world or they're attorneys. They're not yep. creative. And and, and I, I really think the rise of CAA in the 90s, you know, um, crushed the concept of the agent is helps you develop your material, it helps you develop you. What do you mean? Explain for the people who don't. Well, you know, because like you know, I, so you know, like there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a stereotype of what the agent's about. Right. Re um, and stuff like that. You know, no, but no, no, no. That's no, no. Because before that, mm. like in the forties, fifties movies, oh, yeah, you know, sure, like sure. Run Sammy mm -hmm. Run, all that mm -hmm, kind of stuff right. like this. That they're there to help you kind of manage your career and all this kind of stuff like this. I think what happened is is in the nineties when uh, Robert uh, Michael Ovitz formed CAA and he made it the big powerhouse thing he made it such a corporate business mm. and that type of style that became what Ari Emanuel mm -hmm. is an entourage that took over and yeah. people don't need to be creative or don't need to really yeah. even it's public now. talent mm -hmm. and they got answered as shareholders in a way differently yeah. that you know that the idea of it is like is that you might think of is different Right. You know, then and and it's, and, it's, and and more and more as that became the case, and they became these big superstructures and these mega deals and everything like that. They're like powerhouse attorneys, if, 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 if anything, mm -hmm. and and many of them are attorneys, or they yeah. they, they go to law school and then they go work in the mailroom, mm -hmm. and it's like you know what. They wouldn't know the difference between a Rubens and a fucking Rembrandt if you haven't done it. Yet, you know, but the thing is, we kind of feel while well, you're working creative industry and you're, and you're looking at us and, and you're making a decision about Christian go, so you should have some level of taste, and that's not true. Right. So it's really up to you to be the salesman. Yeah. You have to be the one to know how to get up and pitch your material. I mean, there's a I say this book all the time. It changed how I look at all this stuff. It's called um, How to Get Your Point Across in 30 Seconds, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, I read that book so many times, and it was like, because how he wrote it, he used to work in Hollywood, mm -hmm. and he used to make commercials. And he was like, if you can't get your idea across in 30 seconds, your idea is not clean enough. Mm -hmm. It's not fucking, and, and, or, like, or it's not a commercial idea, yeah. you know, because then, uh, he's, he's all these examples where he's like, hey, 
I'm going to you to take out a, a, a stop a stopwatch and hit start and, and read this paragraph out loud or these mm. two pages and you read them blah 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 blah, blah and you click it and it's oh 30 seconds and then I'm going to go through those is a bunch of things like that I'll go through there and go oh, let me just see how much you can you actually say mm. in 30 seconds and it's like uh, it's it's like it's depending on how fast you speak and length of the words. It's between like like eighty five and hundred words. Okay. Eighty five and hundred words is a lot of words mm-hmm. to sell an idea, yeah. to pitch an idea. If you think about it, everyone's like log on and these five six. It's a tweet. Like, <laughs> like, like, like that. So so thirty seconds gives you a hundred words. Okay. That's well then that's your benchmark of how fast you can talk to someone. Because yeah. honestly, this elevator pitches. Someone's, someone's going to give you 30 seconds, mm-hmm. you know? So, so therefore, how do you make it so clean that you're maximizing the use of that 80 or 100 right. words? Right. And that is a skill that if you're good at it, mm-hmm. everyone's like, fuck, I'm going to read that. Well, I was, cool. I was just thinking about when you were talking about the Selma Hayek thing and you pitched to Robert, like, boom, was like, I got an idea. Right. But it was like, you know, light flashes, like, as soon as you said it, like, it made the most sense. Like, that was such an easy transition into a, the next movie, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah, and I think, the, you know, the other thing, too, that to me, which is, like, um, really valuable in that 100-word, 30-second thing, is that you that the goal of that 30-second pitch is for them to turn off the clock and want to keep mm. talking to you. Yeah. Exactly. You know? exactly. That's so a good point. It's, That's a good point. it's less yes. about, like, did they get the whole idea or do they have questions? Right. You know, do they, have you hooked them? Well, that's your thing about the questions is that don't give them the answers. You have yeah. to keep asking questions. Right. You know you're winning in any meeting if they're asking you questions. Mm-hmm. You know that. Yeah. If, if, if they're going, so, um, good, well told, you're done. Yeah, we're we're gonna, gonna, go away. Go along. There's a lot to think about. Yeah. yeah. You're done. Yeah. At that yeah. Point. So, um, and that's and that's only a, uh, something you pick up from experience and knowing that if they're asking you, if they got a lot of questions and they're and they and they might seem aggressive questions to you, like, oh shit, you what the fuck are you doing? Blah blah blah. Didn't I explain? Blah blah blah. It's not that. It's that they are now beginning to see the idea right. and they're trying to fill in certain points of the painting in their own head. That like, oh, yeah. is, is it blue here? Is it green here? Or is it red? Is the sunset is going to be purple? Like, like, <laughs> like, that's what they're trying to do with the painting. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they need you to ask those questions because they're very excited. Um, and, and sometimes sometimes that passion from their end that you've sparked in them uh, might seem off-putting to you because yeah. you haven't got people who, who interrogates you that, and, and like the truth is of interrogation that way. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and you got to be able to then like not be put off by the intensity of their, of their body language. And then realize that they are trying to see they, they couldn't be testing you to the point of like shit. Does this person can I put this person in front of the network head mm-hmm. or the yeah. studio head? So I I, I got to come out of that way too because I think the idea is that strong, and and my boss is going to ask these type of questions. So let's just see if, if they're going to get knocked off their game or not. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of things they're doing. They're only doing that because they because you've. In, in a sense, it's, it's it's kind of like you've made their day mm-hmm. because they're excited. You know, like everyone was, I assume some of the days, like they talk about gatekeepers and everyone's trying mm-hmm. to keep you out. And I was like, no, 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 no. They want your script to be good. <laughs> they want to be able to, because if a script is good. They need your they script need to be good. <laughs> as, this is what happens if a script's good. Depending on your level, there's a, there's a promotion for you. Mm-hmm. Depending on your level, we could get this greenlit. Depending on your level, 
you know, I so much just just like the the possibilities yeah. are endless. Corner office, bitch. You know, yeah, that's good. <laughs> so like, your script to be good, yeah. you know, yeah. um, or your idea to be good. And what it is, they're like, oh my! I mean, it's like they start seeing the same thing that you're seeing, yeah. but it's but the, but within their frame, yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah, timing, timing is everything. You were talking about that earlier about because I was asking him about about his his uh, animation project with um, Danny, and you know, you were talking about back then they were looking for something original. You know, three or yeah. four months later they're looking for IP. You know, it's oh, like yeah. it just no, keeps absolutely, and that was like a project that you know I'd gotten involved with. A couple years earlier, with Brad Graber, who's the head of Powerhouse Animation, mm -hmm. that also does Castlevania for Netflix okay. and uh, Blood of Zeus now, and uh, the He-Man reboot with Kevin Smith. All Powerhouse has done all of those, and um, and so you know, I came on board with the project, developed the thing out, wrote a pilot, we pitched it to a bunch of different places, and like nobody was really biting. Mm. You know, we were getting no's everywhere we went, either being told, like, this is an anime. Anime is Japanese. We can't do anything with this. <laughs> we took it to someone else, and they're like, is it funny? And I said, well, yeah, it's not a comedy. Mm. Like, well, if this were more like, you know, comedy, we maybe have something to do with it. Right. And so, but each of these pitches kind of learned something else and, you know, helped in, if not directly honing the pitch. So you were tweaking it. Maybe. Tweaking it a little bit and just having a different sense of it. And then, you know, when we met with Viz Media, you know, they were really excited about it for all the reasons that other people weren't. Hmm. You know, they were like... Wait, don't they do uh, manga? Yeah, Viz Media is the yeah. largest distributor yeah. of, of manga and anime in the U.S. Yeah. It's all Japanese content. Yeah. And they were really excited about it. So it's like, we want this to be our first original because mm. we think that anime shouldn't be just Japanese it should be global and whatever so yeah. it's like great we have a partner with Biz and then with Biz we went to Netflix and Netflix like we love it mm. you know um, we all walked out of that I think we sold it and, <laughs> and then yeah we did um, now did they read the script first or did they just they, they the had pitch? the pilot you know I have like mm. a 17 page pilot or mm. something like that um, and um, um it's a, you know, it's a half-hour animated thing, mm -hmm. and it obviously it got rewritten and, and filled out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. We had the deck, and, you know, mm -hmm. we had all the character designs and all of this stuff, and, and it had a very sort of um, cool aesthetic, and mm -hmm. they, were, they were in. So it's nice. like we started writing it, and then it takes a whole year to animate it. <laughs> and uh, But then, you know... I remember because Danny, I'd go to the meetings to the Latinx community, yeah. and he'd be like, hey, "I got this thing's coming, so I'm, I'm leaving soon." <laughs> and then eventually, he'd be like, "Okay, I'm cutting out. Somebody else is stepping in." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been doing great. He's been mm -hmm. working um, ever since then. I mean, he was before in the animated space, but right. he just was running the room for um, uh, HBO Max series called Genlock with Michael B. Jordan. Oh, okay, cool, mm -hmm. nice. Um, he did the second season of that. And uh, he's got a bunch of other stuff in development, so mm -hmm. he's great. He's one of the best people I know. It was uh, always fun working with him on, on that. We were working on a few other projects, um, trying to develop for animated space that, you know, so far haven't gone anywhere. But, mm -hmm. um, but again, it's like kind of people that you want to work with who are going to, like, challenge you and also mm -hmm. bring something to the table that you don't have, which is always what you want, mm -hmm. you know, that complimentary 
Yeah, my, my producing partner, we, we work together on a lot of things and we have our separate things we yeah. do. <clears throat> but when we work together, like we work really, really fast together because it's just we have strengths and weaknesses where it's like, oh, this and boom, boom, boom. And we just, next thing you know, it's all on the board. Like, yeah. boom. And 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 we were talking just yesterday and she's like, you know what? I woke up this morning and I had a feeling we need to change the whole beginning. And I was like, why? She's like, what if this? And I was like, hmm, like I would have never thought that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, hmm, let me let me let it marinate because I'm still stuck on how it was. Yeah. I said, like, let me come back to it though. <laughs> you know, so it, it's a nice um, um, give and take, if you will, which is I always tell writers, if you're going to have a partner that you write with, they got to they gotta have something that you're weak at or strong at, something that works in that way so it at least elevates you. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think it's also good, like you said, it's like that – you don't necessarily, I mean, you know, everybody talks about writing relationships as if they were relationships, right. but you have to kind of be in an open relationship you know, <laughs> where you, you, you know, like you have your own slide. things, you, you, know, you, slide, <laughs> you know, I made $20, um, you know, but there's something about, you know, that, that, that thing, which I think keeps it fresh so that when you come to the table with that person, you have that project with. That's the thing you're focused on, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not like everything that you're doing mm-hmm. is together. I think that's 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 good, and then it also gives you the ability to like you know work with different people and mm-hmm. and get different um, experiences and feedback and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think is really good. Indeed. Um, so yeah. Well, thank you, man. Good having you, Alvaro Rodriguez. Everybody. Great to. Where can, where can people? Oh, I was be a husband. <laughs> where, <laughs> where can people follow you? You on Twitter, Instagram? Where I'm you on at? Twitter at uh, Alrods, A L R O D Z. I'm on Instagram at Wright Riguez, W R I T E R I G U E Z. And uh, yeah. That's where's that? Right, Riguez, I like that. That's right, cute. Riguez. That's cute. Like, like he's smart or something. <laughs> where you at, Chris? I am at uh, Unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. That's what's up. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter. I say Twitter like I'm cool. Um, <laughs> at Hilliard Guest, you can find me on Clubhouse, same thing. Um, the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. <clears throat> Any questions, screenwritersrentroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to, or everywhere, Google Play, um, Anchor, everything. Um, yeah, please give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, what else, Chris? What else we got? Uh, you can support the show on our website, ScreenwritersRR.com. You'll see a link on the main page that will, uh, so that will take, take you to our Patreon. Um, and you can, you know, and there's multiple levels to support the show. $2, $5, $10, $20, $25, maybe, maybe $75. To yeah, $2,000. $2,000, you know, whatever. There's, there's, there's an open one for those <laughs> who feel like this is their film school per week. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, you know, I forgot to do what I do now. Uh, shout out to Carl Seaton. That's a good. Uh, sold me up. I can't say why yet, but sold right. me up, that's dude. I appreciate you so fucking much. Yo, we were just talking uh, the other day. That's good. So uh, <clears throat> it's uh, yeah, man. And I hope you're feeling better too. Because uh, I, I think he has. You got it. Yeah, you got it. Sad. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, Carl, I love you, man. I really do. I can't wait to see you again. Um, yeah, that's it. That's what's up. Everybody joining me for 2020. You guys know how we do it on the Ramble. Thanks again, Avaro. We appreciate having you, man. Um, you know how we do it on the Ramble Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it 
I can't even speak straight. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? Everybody. 2020. 2020. 20, I think 2020. I'm still stuck on that shit. You were stuck pre pandemic, man. Look, your brain is? That Rona guy got the gout from the Rona. <laughs> Peace, y'all. what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room.